0: Bible to Mark chapter 14, if you would. We're in uh, the longest chapter in Mark today, so instead of having a 50-minute study, we're going to have a two-hour study. It's nice and cool. Your chairs are comfortable. You guys are okay with that? We're going to break chapter 14 up into two different sections. What Mark has done for us, this is the passion narrative. It's of Jesus's uh, betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection. And, and uh, each gospel really records the tradition, the information that happened during this time. But Mark does it in his own style. What's Mark's style, you guys? Somebody said it. Don't be shy. He gives us three sandwiches in chapter 14. We're going to look at two sandwiches today, and then we're going to look at the third sandwich next week when we finish up. The first two sandwiches that we see as he's presenting what happens, this narrative of, of uh, Passover and the Holy Week, or the, the, this time in Jerusalem, what we're going to see in these two sandwiches is devotion and desertion devotion and desertion. And I want, as we go through these things, I want you guys to think about where your own hearts are when it comes to devotion towards God and how maybe sometimes there's things that that you may desert Him in. <laughs> That's always fun to think about, huh? Our, our inadequacy, our inefficiency. So, Those are the things we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll dive into chapter 14. Father, thank you for these examples of people who are just like us. They're just like us, God. They go through the same struggles. They experience the same trials. And you give them to us as examples so that we can see that it's really all about your grace, Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is necessary on a daily basis. We are not here today receiving your blessings because we deserve it. We are here because you have had abundant mercy and a multitude of grace on us in our lives. And God, we want to function in that on a daily basis. We want to be grounded and secure in your grace for us today so that we are able So that we are willing to give your grace to others. To transfer your mercy on our account to another account that we may have with someone else. So that they could see you, Jesus. Bless your word and bless this time of fellowship we have with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Am I a little loud? I sound loud to me. No? Okay. First sandwich is in this opening part of Mark chapter 14. Let's go ahead and start reading 14 chapter 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people." This is a feast time, and Josephus estimates that there's somewhere around 2 million people in Jerusalem at this particular time. Now, we're not positive for sure, and some people say that that's an exaggeration, but do you know what the population of Las Vegas is? It's about 2 million people. So... Jerusalem for this feast day, one of the three required feasts that they were required to go to, they would go to Jerusalem and the population, the inflation, would, would balloon the city up to around you know, 2 million, so they thought, right? So there's, there's celebration happening. This is to commemorate, you guys know the Passover was to commemorate uh, their exodus out of Egypt. They were in the household of bondage and God said, you're not going to be in bondage anymore and he delivered them. And he showed powerful signs to them as well that he was going to be their God and that they were his people, right? And as the deliverance happened, there was powerful, miraculous signs and miracles. And here we go, zip up to the Messiah is now in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they're trying to work out a way that they can murder him. It's kind of a weird picture when you think about it, you know? the one that they were expecting for so long, the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery and put him to death, but they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. During this time, because of the, the amount of people, the influx in Jerusalem, because Rome had had issues with the Jews and revolts in the past, they are aware of the influx, so they saturate the city with troops there is a roman a very heavy roman presence and if there's any kind of uproar the the romans would would quell it quickly at least that's the idea so part of their intention in not wanting the people to have an uproar is so that they you know they don't get crushed by the Romans or they have something happen that they're going to have to give an account to to Rome because obviously they're under Roman jurisdiction. Let's look at verse 3. And be, being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among them, "...among themselves and said, "'Why was this fragrant oil wasted? "'For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii "'and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply.'" But Jesus said, "Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not always ha- you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world," What this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Here's the sandwich. The first part is the the rulers of the Sanhedrin trying to figure out a way to trick Jesus and kill him. Then we have a picture of a disciple whose level of devotion to Jesus is... uh, a spike nerd that's worth around 300 denarii, it's about a year's wages that she doesn't just open the bottle and pour it on Jesus. She breaks it. She uses it completely. And then the second end of the sandwich is Judas deciding that it's going to be okay for him to go and betray Jesus in the context of of what's happening right now. Now, I want you to see the sandwich as a whole. You see how Mark is presenting this, the focus always being on the meat, right? The meat, what's in the sandwich? I don't know about you guys, but I like certain kinds of sandwiches. I don't like other kinds of sandwiches. I don't know if today what the Lord has for you is going to be something that you like or that you dislike, but you're going to eat it anyway. And you're not leaving until you clear your plate this morning. Let's back up Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, of very costly oil of spikenard. Mark doesn't typically give us names and locations. And when he does, we've seen that it's important. Why is this important at this particular juncture? Because Jesus is hanging out in Bethany, which is right, you know, on part of the Mount of Olives, right across from where Jerusalem is, and it says that he's with Simon the leper. What's the problem with being with a leper? You could get leprosy if you're not careful. So we know that uh, not only do we know, but it's it's in the text, it's... it's uh, It's given to us, really, that that he didn't have leprosy anymore. Jesus healed him, and they're able to be in this position together where it doesn't matter. Here Jesus is eating with Simon the leper at his house, and this woman comes with a very costly oil, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, "'Why was this fragrant oil wasted?'' For you guys and for me, we have a relationship with God, right? That's the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross. We understand that. We have a relationship with God, and there is a level of devotion that we all have individually, personally, that we have to have on that personal level. Whatever your level of devotion is, I don't know. I know what my level of devotion is, and I know that it needs to be higher, you know, most of the time, so to speak. But there's some cases where other people are going to despise your devotion to the Lord. It's true. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, you talk about God too much. You pray too much. You go to church too much, you know, and they're going to despise the fact that you're fully devoted to the Lord. That's something that we have to come to terms with and not move from our position that we're in to be less devoted because the devotion to the Lord isn't for them. It's for him. This costly perfume, this this oil, was, was 300 denarii. The average wage at that time was about a denarii a day. So we're talking about a, a year's wages, a year's worth salary. Have you guys ever been in the position where you'd be willing to donate your salary or give your salary to the Lord? That's insane. I was just talking to a, a brother recently, who's another pastor in the area. I'm not going to tell you who he is. He's a dear brother. He loves the Lord. His church loves the Lord. And, and we were talking about church stuff. And then finances came up, and we were talking about finances. And he said, you know what we did one time? I can't remember. I think he was in the 90s or something. He's an older gentleman. He said, you know what we did one time? We planned about six months out to have a, um, a, a, a salary month Maybe it was even a year. And he said, what we did is, is we planned ahead of time, and people did their budgets so that when that month came, everybody gave their entire salary for that month to the church for this particular building project that we did. And I said, dude, that is nuts. I've, I've never, ever heard of anything like that. He said, you'd, you'd be shocked we, uh, how, much, how much people actually gave. And I was like, that is insane. I don't like asking people for money at all. In fact, I, I don't think I ever do. At least I didn't used to. If I do now, you know, it's just for something like a Tacoma or something like that, you know. Something that could be useful for God's glory, but um, a Harley. <clears throat> But you know, when, when it comes to giving, we have to kind of talk about it because the Bible is addressing it right now, right? When it comes to giving, uh, the Lord wants it to be in a place where it's in devotion to Him and not anybody else. Not a church, not a project, not not anything. He wants it. He wants your devotion for Himself, right? And a lot of times, how we give to the Lord, and I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about in every way that we give to the Lord. It reflects. Where our hearts are really at, if we're not really willing to give to the Lord, and this is just for me, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm just saying because we we have to talk about. It. If if I'm not really willing to give to the Lord, how how devoted am I really? I'll give him a little bit of time. I'll say some prayers. I'll spend some time in devotion. But if I'm not really willing to like give him something that 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 is worth something, then. <laughs> Again, for me, how devoted to the Lord am I? Lord, this is my devotion to you. She was willing to do this because she not only loved Jesus, but she was fully given over to him as his disciple. And then Jesus comes in while they're railing her. It says, but they were some who were indignant among themselves said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? You know, two things. First of all, it was her gift, not yours. You guys. Second of all, not only are they putting her down, but they're putting Jesus down. How? They're saying that Jesus isn't worth that oil that she gave to him. When do you guys think Jesus was worth that oil? He's worth that oil and then some and more and exceedingly above what she offered. So Jesus is coming from the place where he's like, uh, uh, leave her alone. "'Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial.' Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Some have suggested, and this isn't everybody's opinion, but some have suggested that by Jesus saying she was anointing his body for burial, that he's saying that she's the only one that really got it. Nobody else really thinks Jesus is going to die, right? He has to keep telling them. We just saw him tell them three times in the previous chapters. He's like, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. Get ready. You know. And, and then the next chapter, the, the end of this chapter too, get ready, be prepared. I'm going to die. The, Peter wants to argue with him. Oh, no, 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 you're not going to die, Lord. He's like, listen, I'm going to die. And she's like, well, if he's going to die, better you know, anoint his body for burial. She's the only one that got it. This is interesting also. I want you guys to track with me this morning. The Gospel of Mark speaks about and gives more stories about women than any other gospel, than any other book in the Bible. The Gospel of Mark. Over and over and over again. Fifteen different women are brought up by name and talked about what they did Sometimes negative, mostly positive. Twenty-two times in the Gospel of Mark, that 16 chapters. Women are talked about, are given as an example. Would you say that this is a good example or a bad example of devotion? None of the guys were willing to do it. But she was in a place in her heart where she was willing to, to, to demonstrate what full devotion to her Lord and Savior looked like and he stuck up for her too. The highest acclaim of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark goes to women. The the ones that he talks about and gives the most acclaim to, Jesus directs that to women in those 22 scenarios that I talked to you about. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, said, Some of my best men are women. You know, Salvation Army, that thing that just exploded when things were really happening and cranking up and, and William Booth needed people to lean on or he had people who were servants with him, a lot of the time it looked like women. You look around, even, you know, in our church, I think it's a little bit more balanced, I'd like to say. But, you know, you look around, you see all these ladies buzzing around in devotion, serving the Lord by loving you, by loving me, by loving each other. Man, I think that it just is, is, is noteworthy to pause for a second today and, and, you know, turn to the lady next to you and, and say thank you. Give her a hug. Put your arm around her. I want you ladies to know this morning that God wants to use your life, he, and not in a generic Christianese way. God wants to use your life, and you can be that demonstration of pure devotion, just like this woman's was. Now, we think that this is Mary. We're not entirely sure. But again, why doesn't Mark bring her up by name? He could have. He said where they were in Bethany. He said whose house they were at. Simon the leopard. But he does not bring her name up, I believe, because there's more of an ability to identify with somebody that you don't really know specifically the details of. You just see the action that takes place. So this woman could be you. That's why she doesn't have a name. This woman isn't a man, but you men better be devoted too, okay? This woman is an example not just for women, but for men as well. To say, a year's wages? And they were upset because it could have gone to something else, to the poor? Jesus' response is, is perfect the poor you'll have with you always. I don't know how some people have done it, but they have taken and twisted this to slight poor people and even say, you know, that Jesus was putting them down. Jesus wasn't putting them down. He was telling the truth. He wasn't going to be there. The poor are always going to be around. Here I am right now, you know, I'm still around. Some of you guys, But the devotion that happens needed to happen at that time. And then look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray them. Isn't it interesting that right after this story is when Judas decides to betray Jesus. Do you think that there's a connection? Judas was the one that took care of the finances. This could have been the very thing that pushed him over the edge. Oh, this is the Messiah? This is my Jesus? The one who lets women pour a year's worth of money over his own head and not rebuke her and give the money? He wanted the money so that he could take some of it for himself. You know why? Because he was greedy. People talk about Judas and they want to say at the end, you know, Judas was probably all right. Judas wasn't all right in the end. He died. We're going to look at as Jesus goes into a little bit more what that looks like with Judas and what happened. But note with me that what's the thing that gets Judas motivated when he goes to the chief priests to tell them that he's going to betray Jesus? They're going to pay him. It's money, it's like a circle, huh? Here you have this woman giving her life to Jesus, giving her livelihood. Women in that day and age, they didn't get to have like big careers or jobs. Usually it was was your family that had money. Most likely, most people believe that this was probably a family heirloom that had been handed down. And here she's giving it to Jesus. So there's not even really a number on it. You can't say a year's worth of wages. This thing had value, and she was going to give it to him. And as she's giving it to him, as she's giving her devotion to Jesus... Judas is looking to make a dollar, some money, make it rain. Verse 12, now on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go? Prepare that you may eat the Passover. And he sent that out. He sent "'Out two of his disciples and said to them, "'Go into the city and a man will meet you "'carrying a pitcher of water. "'Follow him. "'Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, "'The teacher says, "'Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover "'with my disciples?' Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, it was customary for, uh, since there were so many guests, many people opened up their homes. If they had an extra room or spare rooms or people needed places to stay, they would open up their houses so that people coming to Jerusalem could partake in the Passover feast. This little account of preparing the Passover meal for Jesus and his disciples is very similar, as we saw a couple chapters ago, to the other account where they also had to, uh, when they were coming into Jerusalem, and he told them to go get the, the donkey, right? The same verbiage. In fact, there's eight Uh, words that are literally the same and have the same idea in him sending them out. And it's a little cushion for us. We know that they have to prepare. This is what the preparation looks like. It's similar to the provision that we saw before. And now it was a cushion in getting into the second sandwich, which starts in verse 17. In the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him, One by one, is it I? And another said, Is it I? He asked and said to them, is it, one of, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. That's pretty serious. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. If you'd like, these are the kind of things that pop out to me. You can circle will because didn't Judas betray him already? I want you guys to get a picture right now, okay? This is why we're circling will because Jesus still has not written Judas off. I believe. He still has opportunity for repentance. He still does. Jesus did not say somebody did betray me. Judas went and talked to him already. It was already set up but he didn 't actually do the act yet. now, there is a principle in effect that Jesus gave to us. He said that if you you don 't have to actually do the action to commit sin if you look at a woman to lust after her if you if you think a thought or you, your heart is in a place and you haven 't done the action, then then you still have sin in your life. But also connected to that is that there is a point where you cross the line and do something. Uh, and, And you don't reap the consequences of it until you actually do it. You could be thinking about doing something bad. You could be thinking about doing something wrong. And you need to get your heart right with God, right? There's still a place for repentance in that place. But you haven't gone so far as to do the action and transgress, which not only forces you to reap the consequences of your actions, but you open a door that you can't close, you know? I'm going to be real with you this morning. Is that okay with you guys? I'm going to be real with you. When I was a little kid growing up, there was one thing that my mom drilled in my head. She was like, Tim, do not ever, ever do not trust me, please. I'm telling you over and over again, do not look at pornography. Because when you look at pornography as a young man, this is what she said to me, you're going to open a door that you're not going to be able to close again. And as a teenager, I thought, you know, I didn't think much about pornography till you started talking about it all the time. <laughs> kind of curious now. I'm interested. I remember the first time my friends and I were playing out in the desert, out in Pahrump. There was big irrigation pipe, and there was this little fort. And some other kids had come down, and uh, the, you can crawl back in this culvert, crawl back in this pipe, which nobody in their right mind would do, except for little boys, you know. So we crawl back there. We we're checking out that, their stuff. They had these little seats set up, and this little, you know, little fort thing all. And then over on the side, they had a a, pack, a stack of magazines. And my buddy grabs one, and he starts looking at, it and he and he gives it to me. And, and I immediately looked away. There was something in me like, I don't know about this, you know, but the, but the seed was planted. And then as I got older and I was exposed more to pornography, I realized how difficult it was to stop after that door had been opened. It took some years for me to come to a place with the Lord where um, obviously at that point I wasn't walking with the Lord. But when I turned 19 and started walking with him, that was a couple years later. And it wasn't until that point that I had been given victory from the Lord over that pornography. And for a long time as a young man, you guys know what I'm talking about too. For a long time, I would, I would have dreams about stuff that I saw. Which, how can, you, how can you, I wake up, feel dirty, you know? Like, how do you control that? Don't open the door. You may be thinking about doing something. You may be thinking about giving yourself over to some kind of specific sin. But know this, right now, it's not too late. It's not too late to repent, to stop. To say, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to be that person. I'm not that kind of person. God has called me to be different from the rest of the world. This is what the rest of the world looks like. I do not want to look like that. And know that once you do, if you choose to cross that line, there's still an abundance of mercy for you to repent and return. But now you've got to deal with that stinky door. You know, every time that door opens, a burst of heat comes in here. It's like, close the door. I feel like I'm perpetually screaming at my kids. Close the door! Close the door! Close the door! Where's my dad at? He knows what I'm talking about. Tim, used to always leave the door open. We live in the desert. We're not trying to cool the whole neighborhood down listen, I just want to say, you know, this morning, this is something that the Lord really stuck out, stuck out. He stuck it and stuck it out that that we needed to talk a little bit more about today. Listen, if, if there's a door that you're thinking about going through, don't do it. Repent. If there's a door that's cracked, close it. If there's a door that's open and has been open for a while, And you know that that door should not be open. Go back through it, close it, and don't go near it anymore. Because here's the reality. Jesus is always willing to teach us, willing to forgive us, willing to have mercy, willing to have grace. He's he's always there to meet us. But we also get to choose how far we're going to go. And Judas, you know, Jesus knew his heart. He was willing to go all the way. No turning back, no looking back. He just went for it. And this is the thing that really encourages me about Jesus and his character. You know, there's little glimpses that we see of Jesus and, and things that we, we get taught in, in the Bible. This is one of those things that are, that are incredibly encouraging for me from Jesus to us. Jesus just loved Judas. He, he didn't say anything to him. We never see him treat Judas differently than any of the other disciples, do we? Do we? Judas is stealing from the treasury. Judas is deceitful. Judas has his own motivation. The motivation for him being a disciple of Jesus was what he was going to benefit, not what he was going to bring to the discipleship circle, right? And Jesus never said a word. You know, when I look at people, and and I, I, I think I'd like to know if 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 what their their heart was really towards me, you know, <laughs> what they really thought about me, uh, that's not a good idea. Because I don't know if I could handle it the the same way that Jesus did. We look at this example of steadfast love. He washed Judas's feet. He washed his feet. I wouldn't. I I'd, I'd be like, wash your own feet, dude. You're going to betray me. Get out of here. He just says, somebody's going to betray me. The first part of the sandwich here is the warning of betrayal. Verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the meat. This is the middle of the sandwich. Jesus shows that he is the Passover lamb. Remember, it's Passover. The lamb is to be slain. Uh, The the blood is to be put on the doorposts. Uh, like back in Egypt when the angel of death passed over those with the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And now Jesus is saying, I am the lamb. That's what he's saying. It's Passover time. This is my body. This is my blood. And he is going to be the one that allows for salvation, reconciliation to God, and the death angel cannot have any place over Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Here's the picture of the sandwich, okay? Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. But not only is Judas going to betray Jesus as one of his disciples, but the other 11 are going to desert him. They're going to desert him. And he's going to be all alone. And as much as they think that they're going to be able to handle it and they're going to stick to it and don't say that, we would never do that to you. God knows What's supposed to happen? What was ordained? And everybody was supposed to abandon Jesus at this hour during this time. Now, the reality is the others are going to be restored. So what's the question? The question isn't, are we going to reject Jesus? It's not a permanent rejection. Are we going to desert him? Or are we going to be in a place where Again, mistakes are made. Doors are open that need to be shut. And we're going to respond in a way. We'll see how they responded as well. That there is a desire for restoration. That there is a desire for correction, for repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for speaking to us we thank you for teaching us and god we ask that that you would help us apply these truths to our lives we ask god that you would reveal to us what needs to be addressed if there's something that's open that needs to be closed if there's something that We've done in the past, something that we're thinking about in the future, God. We want to be in a place where we're in repentance towards you. We want our lives not to look like desertion or rejection. We want our lives to look like devotion, God. However that looks for each one of us. Speak to our hearts. Reveal what our hearts are so that we can adjust, so that we can be corrected, Lord. We can repent and respond the way that we need to. In Jesus' name, amen.